from high atop his mountain of index cards and tournament brackets, this is The Joy of Booking, a fantasy booking podcast. Here's your host, DC Matthews. Thank you, Brandon Banks, and welcome back to The Joy of Booking. My name is DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. Uh, Now, you may think this should be a Joy of Ranking episode because we're going to dive back into the MCU, but I will argue that this is actually a Joy of Booking episode because we're going to talk about a movie that I saw this week, um, came out last week when you saw or when you perhaps listened to this episode if you're a day one listener, and I'm grateful to you if you are, and I'm actually grateful to you if you're not. I I appreciate you listening to these episodes whenever you get the time. The fact that you consider uh, the DC Matthews experience, the Durango Canyon Matthews experience uh, at all in your uh, podcast listening uh, is a privilege and an honor, and I am grateful for it. Um, But I've seen The Eternals, and I have thoughts. Uh, I also have seen um, The Pitch Meeting, for the Eternals. If you remember many DDT wrestlings ago, uh, Doc Manson brought up uh, the pitch meetings, which are done by Ryan George, who is a comedian and YouTuber. Um, he works with Screen Rant, which is a popular uh, movie YouTube channel. Um, and he did a pitch meeting for it. And, you know, he makes the case, as I did, I think, before we got to, you know what? Hold on a second. Let's 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 stop. Rewind a bit. I'm I'm jumping ahead. Uh, the Eternals. I saw the Eternals. At some point, I will I will have to get my <clears throat> list of where I ranked the Marvel movies, <clears throat> so I can actually put the Eternals on the list somewhere. Um, but that's actually not the main thing I want to talk about. I actually want to rebook this. Uh, so let's let's start over. If you are not familiar with the Eternals as Marvel characters, I'm not surprised. Uh, they're not a well-known uh, Marvel property. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, I would submit, before they became an incredibly popular movie, uh, and as some would argue, a top five Marvel movie. Uh, they were not a very well-known um, Marvel property, but I would submit they were more well-known than The Eternals. The Eternals, I don't know the history. I'm not going to tell you who created them and when. That's not how I do things. I'm not that kind of historian when it comes to comic books. Um, but not a very popular uh, series. They've been around for a while, but I think they kind of, you know, flit in and out. And there are long periods of time where I don't think they were part of, uh, you know, modern comic stories. Um, so if you have not seen it, the the movie actually uh, differs slightly uh, from the comics as I am aware of them. I've not read all the comics, but I've read some of the more modern versions of the Eternals. Um, So, obviously, because I'm going to 
quote unquote rebook this, there are going to be some spoilers uh, in this movie. So I am assuming one of two things if you're listening to this podcast. Either one, you have seen The Eternals and you know what happens. Or two, you don't care enough about The Eternals um, to mind if you get spoiled. And that happens a lot. There are plenty of movies and things that I'm like, oh, I'll happily let this be spoiled because I don't care enough to want to be uh, surprised. So because of that, I had listened to and watched the pitch meeting before the movie came out because the movie didn't come out on Disney Plus until January 12th. It had been out in theaters for a few months. I'm not going to a movie theater. Maybe in May to see Doctor Strange 2. I will venture back into a movie theater, um, but I might just go to a drive-in instead. Uh, But either way, uh, the pitch meeting had been out for a while, and I didn't care enough... um, to, to need it, you know, to mind it being spoiled. So I watched the pitch meeting. My wife and I watched the pitch meetings. We're a pitch meeting uh, family here now, thanks to Doc Manson. Um, and luckily enough, because I didn't care, the story elements to me didn't matter as much. Um, so when I watched the movie, there were parts of it that still surprised me because I wasn't paying attention as much to what Ryan George is saying in these pitch meetings about the story. The thing that I that that caught my attention, and it had been something I had thought of before in my sort of stream of consciousness rambling that I do sometimes to my wife, much to her chagrin, um, is that the Eternals is a huge world. Um In order to appreciate the Eternals, you have to know what Celestials are. Uh, You have to know that there is essentially a pantheon of Eternals. Um, Even the main ones that make up the comic that led to this movie, um, that's not it. There are more Eternals. Um, You need to be familiar with the idea of Deviants. Uh, There's a whole element here. There's an entire history that you need to be familiar with in order to uh, appreciate the Eternals. And Disney doing all of this, I probably have said on a previous podcast, the need for them to do more shows and less movies. You have the ability with Disney Plus now, you have the ability to tell eight-hour stories or more and not two-hour movies. I'm sure I've said that on a podcast um, before. And so The Eternals seemed perfect for that. Give give them eight episodes, ten episodes, even six episodes, um, and let them actually explain what happened. Because jumping ahead... This is the lowest ranked movie according to like critics scores. It's not bad, but it's the lowest ranked score. I don't think it did great in the box office. Obviously, we're in a pandemic. Not a great time in November. Um, other movies were coming out. And you know, now we don't know 
it's it's been a few months, and as far as I'm aware, and I looked recently, uh, we don't know whether or not they're going to make an Eternals two. Um, which usually never happens. A lot of times in the, in in the Marvel world, they're announcing sequels before the first movie even comes out, or by by the second weekend. Um, I enjoyed the Eternals. I had issues with it, as I do with many Marvel movies. No, none of them are perfect, but a lot of the issues I had came from the fact that we didn't have enough time to really understand what was happening. Um, but I'm bought in enough so that I will be bummed if they don't do a sequel. Uh, and maybe they'll, you know, obviously, again, spoiler, spoiler, spoilers, the last time I'm going to say it, obviously we're doing something with whether or not you want to call it the Infinity Watch or whatever, the post credit scene, we got Pip, the MF and Troll, which is a whole other thing. We got Eros involved. Um, so obviously this is leading somewhere, we hope. Uh but I don't know. I don't know if we get an Eternals 2, um, which I do think would be a shame. So what I want to do in this episode, and yes, at some point I will, I will put the movie on my list if I remember. Uh, but what I actually want to do is something that I did, um, again, talking, you know, having a stream of conscious, consciousness conversation uh during which I'm not ashamed to say my wife fell asleep. That's sort of the whole idea of these stream of consciousness conversations. Um, so I plotted out in the middle of the night a few nights ago uh, an eight-episode version of The Eternals that I think would have been better. It would have you know, we would have had more time to really understand who these characters are. Um. I don't know if I'll remember all of it, so I'm going to try to do it again. Uh, but I don't know that I'll remember all the beats. I wish I could have recorded myself, you know, at 11.30 a few nights ago because I had most of the beat. I did it the night of watching it, so I had all the beats in my head. So first things first, uh, I have an index card. I got my purple pen. Um, Icarus and Cersei. You've got Dane Whitman who I might argue didn't need to be in the movie at all. Um, you know, the future Black Knight, not sure what his purpose was. You've got Gilgamesh and Thena. You've got Druig and Makari. You've got Ajax and Fastus. You've got Sprite. You've got the Deviants and Crow. You've got the Celestials. Am I missing any characters? It's possible that I am. I don't think so, though. Oh, no. You've got Kingo and Friend, whose name I forget. Like, that's, that's telling that I'm, I'm missing characters. I think that's it. I'm not willing to Google it. If I'm missing a character, I'm just I'm making my point even clearer that I have forgotten somebody. But I think that's all the major people. I've got Angelina Jolie. I've got Salma Hayek. I've got Kumail Nanjiani. I've got 
the the major ones. All right. So here we go. Joy of Booking, um, a Disney Plus series. Episode one. Instead of the Star Wars crawl, we got a Star Wars crawl that sort of sets the stage. Why not? Like the Celestials, you know, bigger than planets sort of like tell us some of the story. Here's the big issue. The Eternals did a lot of telling and not a lot of showing in a visual medium. So show us, don't tell us. Um, so, episode one, you start with some celestials. Like, whether it's, you know, the Big Bang. I, I don't know how you want to tell the, the story. Or it's just Arashem, the, the big celestial. That's fine. But we actually see it happen. We see it very, very briefly uh, in the movie. And again, that's what a lot of this is going to be, is this, let's flesh out some of this. You could spend the almost the entirety of episode one um, doing Arashem, the Celestials, perhaps maybe the you know seeing multiple ones or seeing the birth of a Celestial would have kind of hinted at how the movie was going to end, but I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. People have a tendency to forget what they see in the first five minutes by the time they get to minute 75. Um, you see the creation of the Eternals. Again, we don't spoil who they are, but, you know, Icarus and Cersei kind of wake up. They look at the planet Earth. They meet. You know, we could spend more time with that. With the other ones, we do get a sense in that opening scene of what their powers are, which is nice. Could spend more time with that. Um, and we could establish some relationships. We know that Icarus and Cersei obviously are kind of linked. Um, throughout the movie, we learn that Gilgamesh and Thena are linked, but we don't know exactly how that works. Are they romantically involved? Are they siblings? Like, are they, like, close, like, siblings? You know, at no point do you see any romance between them that I can remember. In fact, Thena's kind of trying to get with Icarus. It looks like quite a lot in the movie. I don't, I, I, they don't explain that. Um, you know, Druig and Makari, the big two, like, so you have Makari. Kudos to them for the, you know, incorporating... Um, you know, someone, uh, an actress who is deaf and incorporating that and having the sign language. I thought that was great. Her character was interesting. We did precious little with her. Um, she and Druig are obviously very close, perhaps romantically inclined. I, we don't explain that at all. So you could take some time to potentially set up all of these. You could also redo the entire opening sequence um, and, and just focus on episode one really should be Icarus and Cersei um, and how their love starts and goes, you know, and they, they tease it. We jump back and forth through time, which is confusing, especially if you're someone like my wife, who I love dearly, who is often listening to a movie. She's doing something else. And, you know, she's not seeing the, oh, now we're in Babylon. Oh, now we're in the Amazon. Oh, now we're in modern times. Um, but 
episode one, you get through that, and we see Icarus leave. We don't hear about it. We're not told about it in exposition. We actually see him do it. We see him leave. And we understand, we get some sense that something must be up. He's not leaving for a a good reason. There's obviously something he's not telling his beloved. And he leaves. Um, and then you can go through... We, we, you show us Cersei waiting as the days turned into weeks, turned into months, turned into years. She says that in kind of a one-off line near the end of the movie. Show us that. Show us her pain and her waiting and then her eventual, you know, building herself back up and going out and living with these people that she loves and maybe perhaps maybe she meets if you want to include Dane Whitman because you want to get the Game of Thrones guy in there and you want to introduce another character do that like take the time have them meet have them you know we see her you know daring to love again after the heartbreak of a 5,000 year relationship or what have you episode one ends the deviants appear, they attack, and Icarus makes his return. You know, there's a line about, you must be the pilot or something. That would be a great line to end episode one on. Cersei and Icarus have no interaction. They don't, like, talk to each other. You know, Icarus saves them. She changes the bus into things. She does the cool matter moving thing. They come, they get face to face. They're staring at each other. Dane goes, you must be the pilot. Boom. Episode one is over. We've spent a lot of time. Now we understand. We have a better understanding of what happens. Episode two. You know, now we understand what's going on. We have a better sense of who these characters are, what their relationship is. Um, You know, they're talking. The deviants are back. You know, Icarus goes, like, I, when I saw that the Deviants were back, I came to check on you, yada, yada, yada. Um, at some point in these episodes, we need an episode that goes into the Deviants. Um, that's a little tricky to do because the Deviants up until uh, a slightly later uh, seem to be kind of just mindless animals. So it's probably not a good time to do that now. But we do need to understand who these who the deviants are. We need to understand who the the quote unquote bad guys are, because we don't know who that who they are. We don't understand what they're doing. They're just there attacking. Um, so episode two, Cersei and Icarus finally, you know, come together and chat. We have the awkward triangle there. Dane is finding out who this is. I totally had forgotten about Sprite. For some reason, she's with Cersei. We don't know why. We don't understand why these two people are together. Like, maybe that gets gets thrown in at some point. Maybe it's episode one. Maybe it's episode two. Talking about Sprite. She has to tell us how hard it is to be a, you know, who to be unable to change, to be unable to grow, to be unable to age and have the life that she wants to have. And, you know, and we have to find that out. Uh, she has to verbalize it 
in Act 3. And I understand we show it in the beginning scene where she's using her Mirage powers to be older, but you could go into that. You could go into that more. You could take more time with that. Um, understanding, you know, we had to be told that she's in love with Icarus. Show us. If in episode one we're, we're watching this 5,000-year love affair between Icarus and Cersei, have Sprite there. Show us that she's watching enviously. Show us that she's watching as these... Uh, these, I'm going to call them romances because we don't know what they are, but she's watching Gilgamesh and Thena bond. She's watching Druig and Makari bond. And she doesn't have that. She's not going to bond with Kingo. She's not going to bond with Fastos in that way. Obviously, she's a kid. She can't grow up. We don't know why. Anyways, I don't want to get frustrated because I'm, I'm doing what Doc did last week, talking about Ghostbusters. I liked Eternals. But there's so much more that it could have been. Um, so, at some point, we understand who Sprite is. We understand her motivations. We understand that she has feelings for Icarus. We understand that she, you know, went to Cersei. Ajax sent her to go to Cersei, or Ajax. I don't think it's Ajax. We sent sent her to go with Cersei because they were both lonely and they were both alone, and obviously they needed each other. So. We can do all of that. We can establish that. They have to go see Ajax because the Deviants are attacking and they don't know what happens and then they find her dead. Feels like we spent precious little time with that. We don't know who Ajax is. Maybe episode two opens with her being, and we see how she's the one who's communicating with Arashem and she's the one that's having to lead them all. And, you know, what did she do? We don't know why they separated, and I understand why that information has to wait. I'm okay with that information waiting. We don't need to see that early on. But what's she been doing? We, you know, what's her story? What's her understanding? She's obviously the leader of the Deviants. I believe in the comics, Ajax was a male. I like the switch. Um, but what's she been up to? What's she been doing? We discover her dead. Obviously, now they need to go tell other people. Episode two could be, if we, if we don't want to spend a lot of time with Ajax because we want to tell that story progressively, that's fine. Episode two needs to be about Gilgamesh and Thena. Why are they so, you know, together? Um, at one point, we get that, you know, uh, I missed this whole thing. They see Ajax dead. The sphere comes out of Ajax goes into Cersei. Now Cersei is the one who speaks to Arishem. Um, and we get the whole, you know, uh, Icarus wonders if it's the Mod Re or whatever. And this, you know, we know, we learn as the, as the story goes on that it's all the memories of the previous Eternals' lives on the different planets. But, you know, spend more time on that. Let's really unpack that. Let's let's get a longer scene. Let's a great fight scene. Thena fighting all of the, you know, having to fight all of the Eternals. That could have been longer. That could have been more exciting. Um, and then Gilgamesh offers to stay with her. What's that relationship? Are they just very close? Are they like siblings? Are they more than siblings? We don't know. They don't explain. They don't. They don't show us what that is. Um, 
you know, then the cooking scene, and then you end episode two with her going to see Arishem and actually learning what the plan is and understanding that there's been a deception. There is no home planet that they all remember. You know, they're all essentially artificial intelligence. Um, like, that is a big, big hairy deal. Um, you know, why isn't, like, that could be an end of an episode. She comes, you know, she, like, comes out of that vision, and you just see the horror on her face as she realizes what they're doing in this planet that she loves, which they don't really show, um, this planet that she has loved for thousands and thousands of years is ultimately going to end. That's episode two. Episode three, she's telling everybody. Oh, I forgot about Kingo. Obviously, you need to do Kingo. Um, I forgot about him again. He kind of doesn't really do much and then disappears at the end. Um, do you save that? Because, again, I think at that point you save it. Because if we're doing a series of episodes, each episode you introduce new characters. So I would submit, well, I don't know how, I don't care how you do it, but episode, one of these episodes is Gilgamesh and Thena. If you're doing Kingo, then Kingo becomes episode two. Uh, they go see Ajak, Ajak is dead, and then we see Kingo. And again, he we were told that he has basically built this dynasty of acting in the Bollywood universe and show us that, show us that. We had to be told that his agent, his valet, his best friend, you know, tried to stab him in the heart because he thought he was a vampire. What a great story that would be. What a great 10 or 15 minutes that would be meeting him him beginning to realize that it's the same guy who doesn't age, him trying to, you know, trying to kill him, thinking he's a vampire, having to realize exactly who he, like, there's a whole story there that we didn't get that could be a good half to more than half of an episode. So if you want to do that in episode two, fine. Um, you do that in episode two, Maybe episode, although, hmm, hmm, how would you do that? Because I want, at the end of every episode, I want a big thing. You know, in these, these shows, sometimes they don't end with a big thing, and that's a little weird. You want that kind of please stand by moment that we got in WandaVision and everybody fell in love with. Uh, episode one, it's the f first fight with the Deviants and Icarus and Cersei being reunited. Episode two, if we're going in order... Episode two does need to be about Kingo um, and Ajax. Uh, maybe they get Kingo first. You know, they go see Ajax first and then they have to get the band back together. You could swap that around. You could swap that around. Um, you know, because really what episode two, the end would be if we're going this way, is the Mad Re, is Thena freaking out and attacking everybody. And, you know, and that kind of fight could be potentially the end and where Gilgamesh says he's going to stay with her. And then to start episode three, we follow that train and we see them together and him taking care of her for who knows how many years, how many thousands of years. It's just the two of them and he's taking care of her as she slowly gets worse with this, um, you know, this obvious AI defect, this virus or whatever you want to call it.
Either way. Uh, so now we're in episode three. Uh, you do the Gilgamesh and Athena. Episode three, the big end, is the plot is revealed. You know what's going to happen. They're trying to birth an Eternal. The entire Earth's going to die. Episode four. Everybody finds out about that. You have you start to see the divisions in, you know, Kingo and Icarus, pro Arishem, Thena and you know, Thena, not Thena, Cersei is obviously pro humanity. Sprite probably gonna do what Icarus wants to do, and we would understand the motivation why. Gilgamesh and Thena, you know, I think they're pro Earth, but either way. You start to get that. You start to figure out, oh, we need to do something to stop this. And if we do that, we need Druig. We need the guy who can mind control. Maybe he can, you know, be the one to put a stop to this. We head to the Amazon. Again, now we get maybe episode four opens with the fight at Babylon. You know, where the Spanish, or no, it's not Babylon. It's... It's in the Amazon. It's it's sort of the Spanish takeover of the Mayans and the Aztecs and all of that sort of thing. And it's, um, you know, Druig wishing that he could stop things. And you, then now not only are you getting that, but now we're seeing Fastus has given them technology. And it's not gone well for humans. We need to set that up so that it can pay back off in, in a future episode. And, you know, maybe episode four begins with this sort of big flashback scene. And at the end, Ajax tells them all to go their separate ways. Although I think actually, no, episode four has to begin with the, you know, telling them all about the plan. But still, you get this big flashback scene, they all go their ways, and we follow Druig. And again, you need to explain this whole thing with Makari. They're obviously close. They're either best friends or they're romantically involved. We don't see any of that. We don't understand any of how they're together. Um, like, let's explain that. Maybe Jurig and Makari go off together in the Amazon, and they're there for quite a bit of time, and they're doing all of these things. And, you know, what has he been doing? Like, he doesn't have this big civilization. He's not living there like a god. He's kind of, you know, there's this small community that seems to be, are they saving the rainforest? I don't really know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing in there, but they go to this small village. And then, you know, there's a fight scene there. Episode four ends, Gilgamesh dies. That's the big thing. We finally, we, we see the death of an Eternal. He's saving um, Thena, and he's telling, you know, and that's the big thing in episode four, is they go to the Amazon to try to recruit Druig. He's not going to go, but now the, the things has come. We see that the crow, who's the name of the deviant that kills Gilgamesh, kind of absorbs that powers, and we see him evolve. So episode five probably has to begin with the deviants. And maybe I had this idea. Episode five is the death of Ajax, but you don't show Icarus. Episode five is we see Ajax, on the ice flow, surrounded by deviants. And we see her trying to fight them off, and we see her die. And we see that Crow has killed her and absorbs the healing powers, and we see him start to change. And again, 
he doesn't seem to have language at that point, but there's a way that you can show cinematically that he's evolved and that the, he kind of understands, and he is now acting differently than the Deviants. Is he planning things? Is he organizing things? We need to figure that out. Um, and then, again, now we cut to the modern times. He's killed Gilgamesh, and you see him change again, because now, I think by the second evolution... He now does have the power of speech. Do we do something with that? You know, he's not going to talk to the other deviants because clearly they haven't, but he could monologue. Villains always monologue. He could monologue. So we have that. We get a sense of the deviants. We do the, uh, the kind of Viking funeral for Gilgamesh. Druig now agrees to go along. Again, we're debating what to do, what to do. Now we need to go get Fastus. I think that's what happens next. Um, we need to get Fastus. We can spend a whole... Oh, we need to get to... If we're doing that, then we need to get to... Am I missing something? I don't think I'm missing anything. They need Fastus because Fastus needs to create something to help Druig amplify his powers too. Um... You could have, I'm realizing something else, forgive me, I'm jumping around. I was much better at this at 1130 at night. Uh, you could have in the first episode, when you're doing the celestial bit, you could have show us the Unimind. You could show us the Eternals. You know, I created the Eternals, and we see them all created and you see the gold, whatever it is that is the Unimind sort of thing, that, and we, so we know it can happen. They don't know it can happen, but we know it can happen. And it's always good when we know something that the characters don't, I think. So, we get to Fastest. So now we need to get to the um, Ajax and Fastest at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The, the dropping of the atomic bomb. And again, we could watch and see Fastest giving technology to humans throughout history. Because he's done it. He did it in the Spanish times. Obviously, he's done it before. We see him wanting to create the steam engine. They tell him you can't, you know, you can do some of that. And you can see all of that. And now we get to this point where He's obviously gone too far. Humans can't handle his technology. He, he turns away. And we can watch him, you know, spend whatever it is, 50, 60 years or so, you know, basically cut off from humanity. Whatever he's doing, wandering around, hiding out, we don't know. And then have him meet his partner. Have him, we watch him. We sh we're shown him regaining his faith in humanity instead of him just telling us that he's regained his faith in humanity. We watch him adopt a kid, and then we watch as the Eternals show up, and we get the great scene with the table and the Ikea and the fact that he's still using his powers to keep everybody safe. That was a very nice scene. I like Fastest as a character. But again, we're shown the backstory. We don't just get told the backstory. This isn't a radio play. A lot of this could have been done as a radio play where you don't need to watch anything. 
because the characters are just telling you what happens. This is a movie. Show us what happens. You know, and I understand we're showing them emote as they tell us these things, but show us him regaining his faith in humanity a little bit. Then they go off. So, you know, that's probably an entire full episode. That actually kind of is two episodes. If they were doing shorter, I'm assuming they're doing hour-long episodes. If you were doing half-hour ones, you know, Fastest could get a whole half hour. Each of these characters could get a whole half hour. Now we're talking 12 episodes. I'm not going back and redoing it. You get the idea. Um, you know, so that's what that's what we do. The the This episode ends with them going to and pulling the ship out. The big thing in here is we see them pull the ship. The archaeologists are trying to slowly dig it out, and we see him, you know, summon their ship that comes, rises out of the sand and out of the earth. And, you know, that's kind of the big ending as we see this big miraculous scene where we see the ship and all of that sort of stuff. Next episode, Makari. We know nothing about Makari except that she's deaf, she's fast, she has something with Druig, everybody knows sign language, and apparently she's been on the ship. For how long? We don't know. What has she been doing? We don't know. Collecting stuff, apparently. She runs off, steals something, and brings it on the ship. You could do an entire 15, 20 minutes, if not a full half-hour episode, talking about Makari, talking about what she's doing. So we get that. We get a fully-fledged story of our one of the main, you know, now granted we also have Echo, so we have but a major character with, you know, a hearing impairment that's a big deal. We could have spent a little bit more time with that character. But we get to Makari. They're all there. He's figuring out the Unimind. Again, we figure this all out. They're talking. They're arguing. They're not sure what to do. Maybe not a lot of action in this episode, which is okay, because this episode ends Icarus wandering off because Kingo has said the line that resonates, and we understand now that Icarus is the bad guy. Icarus is part of the plan. This episode ends with him pushing Ajax onto the ice flow with the Deviants. And now we get the callback. So we see the scene of Ajax and the Deviants, but the camera pulls back and you see that Icarus is kind of floating in the air above them. Obviously, he has done this. The next episode could begin with him flying the body to where they needed the body to be found all of that sort of thing. And again, I'm realizing I'm 40 minutes in. Um, You're probably bored out of your mind, but I'm having a good time, which kind of is what matters here. Uh, So episode seven, you know, we we get more of Icarus's plot. We do this. They're setting up the Unimind sort of thing. And Icarus says, you can't do it. And now we're starting to figure out what's going on. And again, we do our whole... You know, the betrayal, the yelling, the screaming, King goes out, Sprite goes with Icarus, and now we have a better understanding of why, because we know what Sprite's about, we understand that character, Um, you know, and episode seven, that leads into episode eight, you could do a two-parter, you do your whole final thing, the, you know, the emergence starts, that's probably how you end the seventh episode is you're watching this hand come out of the 
um, the water, and then you do the whole fight scene. The, you know, fastest getting to use his powers on Icarus, which is cool. Sprite stabbing Cersei in the back. I really wish we get a scene with Sprite and Loki at some point, because the two of their characters are very similar. I think it would be really entertaining. We do all of that sort of stuff. Crow and Thena, eh, that scene didn't really do much for me, but you could do it. Crow gets a bad rap. Yeah, and by bad rap, I mean, like, he gets hosed. You know, you see this character, he he evolves, he makes his whole monologue, and then Athena kills him almost immediately. Um, you could do better with that. But yes, episode eight, she turns him to marble. I think she should have turned him to ice. Solved global warming, solved climate change right there. This giant creature that, you know, this giant robot that is coming out of the, you know, now is a giant glacier. Again. Probably huge climate implications if it's ice, but probably huge climate implications if it's marble too. But either way, Icarus throws himself into the sun, which is fine. And you, you know, again, the end of the movie kind of you can similarly do things. The problem, again, as I said, you don't need Dane Whitman. With the exception of the first episode and his You Must Be the Pilot line, he's done very little. He disappears for. The whole thing. And then at the end, he shows up. They're kind of reunited. And he's like, oh, I learned something about my family. You could decide whether or not you needed the Black Knight tied in with the Eternals. I don't think you did. I also don't think you need the Black Knight character at all. It's a weird pull. The Eternals were a weird pull, but the Black Knight is a really weird pull. I think, when you've got all of these other characters on the board. But fine, you can do that whole thing where I learned something about my family. Maybe he could, maybe we get a chance to see more of that and get an idea of what that is. And then Arshem shows up, takes them, like, again, the ending was pretty good. Like, you could do, you could take a lot of that ending with some of them going off here and some of them going off there um, and do all of that. And then, of course... You got to have Pip the Troll. Um, the fact I, you know, I've said this before. When I was a kid, I didn't, I didn't have a huge comic book collection, but what I did have uh, were the Marvel handbooks. These basically little encyclopedias um, that gave you the characters, that gave you some of their story, that had pictures, that told what their powers were, and I thought Pip the Troll was ridiculous. Um, the fact that you had a you know, troll guy who was a cigar-smoking, beer-swilling, like, interdimensional teleporter. I was like, oh, this is, what a ridiculous character. Well, that ridiculous character made me mark the heck out at the end of this series. And then, you know, sure, you get the guy from One Direction to play Eros. Interesting that he shows up after Thanos is dead. Are we going to get some flashbacks at some point? Does Josh Brolin reprise his role of Thanos for the flashbacks? I don't know. But interesting that Eros, you know, Star Fox, call him what you will, shows up afterwards. But again, it's great. The fact that we live in a world where Pip the Troll is going to get a part in the Marvel Cinematic Universe does make me happy. So... Uh, I kind of sprinted through the last bit. I'm sorry about that, but we're 43 minutes in. You get the idea. Uh, you could have done, I submit, a much better version of this story 
if you did it in a series and not in a movie. Having said that, let me bring up my document of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films and try to determine where I feel um, The Eternals belongs. I think we need to start... Do we start from the bottom or start from the top? Uh, let's start from the bottom. Uh, I'm automatically going... Yep, nope. I'm already at 16, which is Doctor Strange. Um, so I skipped over Iron Man 3, Incredible Hulk, Thor The Dark World, Spider-Man Homecoming, Captain America, Age of Ultron, Ant-Man 2... Spider-Man Far From Home, and Guardians 2. I find Eternals better than all of those movies, mainly because I don't like Spider-Man. Um, Doctor Strange is... Yeah, I'm trying to remember Doctor Strange. This one actually might be a little bit above. I like big ensembles. I'm an X-Men fan. So the fact that this was a big ensemble, I actually kind of liked. Doctor Strange, I appreciated some of the elements um, of that movie, obviously. The villain wasn't great in terms of Kaecilius. Uh, though then again, the villain's not great here until we get to Icarus and such. Uh, so I'll put it ahead of Doctor Strange. I don't know if I... I don't know how I'll feel about that in two or three weeks. I might change my mind. But I'm somewhere around 15. You know, 15 is Ant-Man. Um, I did like Ant-Man. I did think Ant-Man was good. Uh, so I'm going to put this movie at number 16 on my list. Uh, right behind Ant-Man. So it goes Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain Marvel, Ant-Man, and now the Eternals, then Doctor Strange and Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Um, I don't feel... Gr Again. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right. The problem I have is, in my head, I'm thinking about the, the, the show that I have written. My show, I think, would be better if we had more time. The issue with Eternals is they didn't show us enough. They told us stuff that had they just done, just do series. Like, let's, we need just as a world to get out of this motion picture, like go to a movie theater thing. I love going to a movie. Going to a movie, one of my favorite things in the world to do. I love getting there early. I love getting a good seat. Snacks that we bring in, sneak in. I love when the the lights go out. I love the. I even enjoy the commercials now. Before I love the previews. I love when the movie starts and it's on the big screen. And it's, I love going to a movie. But Marvel is doing itself a serious, serious disservice by not taking, especially with a thing like this, and really giving us some time to get into this thing. I'll come right out and say it. The Fantastic Four should be a series and not a movie. Whether or not they get John Krasinski to play Mr. Fantastic, which was the rumor I saw this morning, I don't care who they get to play. It needs to, we've seen three Fantastic Four movies. 
None of them good. Sorry, Chris Evans is Human Torch. None of them good. And I think part of the reason why, part of the reason why, you tried to tell us the entire story of the Fantastic Four in a two-hour movie. If you took eight hours. Now, I also submit that if the Fantastic Four is going to be a movie, you don't need the origin story anymore. Same with Batman. I don't ever need to see a Batman origin story again. We all know how it happened. We all know, pretty sure, how the Fantastic Four got their powers. We don't need to see young Reed Richards and Victor Von Doom being, you know, adversaries. We don't need to see the four of them off on some adventure and then they get hit with gamma rays and they become, you know, essentially avatars of the four elements. In case you didn't know that, I'm sure you did because you're smart, but you have earth for the thing, fire for the human torch, water for uh, Mr. Fantastic because water flows and flexes and fills its container. And then you have air for Sue Storm who can turn him invisible. I think you could do a Fantastic Four movie um, without telling us that origin story. They already have their powers. They also belong in the multiverse. Same with the X-Men. Don't try to tell me that the Fantastic Four and the X-Men either existed in secret alongside the Avengers and just didn't bother helping during any of the things, like the Eternals, or... Um, you know, they're going to show up after. Don't give me some of event, some big event in which all of a sudden, oh, hey, there's mutants. They should be contemporaries. They should be from the multiverse because then potentially you could get an Avengers versus X-Men or, an, you know, something like that. If you have the multiverse, do it. In one multiverse, there's mutants. There's no Avengers. In one multiverse, you get the Fantastic Four. And then... You cross the streams, like Doc Manson talked about with the Ghostbusters. Uh, so there is 50 minutes on the Eternals, probably far longer than any of you needed to hear about the Eternals. But I wanted to get that off my chest because I, I did enjoy, uh, especially at 1130 at night, a little less so now, uh, fantasy booking that movie and what I think uh, potentially could have been a much better show. That would have been a great eight-hour show. The fact that we're getting The Eternals as a movie or Black Panther 2 as a movie where we're just going to learn about Wakanda. You know how well we could learn about Wakanda in a show that I could watch from my couch? It, I, it, that's not the only reason why I'm saying that most of these things should be shows and not movies. But a big portion of it is the fact that I want to watch these things from my couch. I love going to a movie. Don't get me wrong, but I also love sitting on my couch and having all the snacks I want and watching a movie at home. So uh, I'm curious to know what you thought of Eternals. I'm curious to know if you think I'm right and that it would have worked better as a show uh, and they could have actually shown us instead of telling us all of this um, or, or just tell me that I'm wrong and it should have been a movie and I'm an idiot. That, that's also a perfectly... Uh, hurtful thing to do. My name is DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. I had no water this entire time. I've been talking for an hour, plus I did the epilogue 
to this week's Joy Booking. I haven't had my water. I got to go get my water. I'll see you the next time we celebrate the joy of booking. I got to have more cowbell. I got to have more water. <laughs>